You shall have no other gods before me. Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us to understand your word, that we would take the message that is given and apply it to our hearts, and that we would truly be able to say for every true believer here this morning that we have no other gods before us. Not just in following the command, but that in every area of our life that we show that Jesus Christ is preeminent, not just prominent. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I have shared this illustration with some of you, I believe, on a Sunday night. I'm going to share it again with you so that you understand the difference between preeminent and prominent. If you were to come up to me and ask me, say, would you be willing to share a picture of your favorite young lady in the whole world? And so I open my wallet, and there's my wife's picture right on the front. Show you my pictures. And then I let the pictures fall out of my wallet, and there's six or seven other women there. And you say, well, I don't understand. I thought that Violet was your wife. Well, she is, and, and I think of her most highly. I, I think of her as number one among many. I think you would have a problem with that. I know my wife would have a problem with that. And you see, that is not preeminent, that is prominent. She is one among many. But if I open my wallet and I show you my pictures and she's the only one that is in there, it's because she wants to be preeminent. She wants to be first and only. That's the difference between what we see in the scriptures and what we are called to. God does not want to be prominent in our lives. He wants to be preeminent. In other words, he doesn't want to be one among many gods. He wants to be the one and only. We saw and we have looked at what God calls us to, and that is, he tells us in Isaiah chapter 45, that I am the Lord, there is no God beside me. Now we talk about the gods of the heathen. And we can bemoan the fact of places like India, for example, and in India they have over 8 million different named gods just in India alone. 8 million. But on our part... We look here in America and we say, well, we're not like those heathen. And actually we are. Because we in America, we have all kinds of gods here. It can be sports. It can be camping. It can be fishing. It can be hunting. It can be all kinds of things. When, and there's nothing wrong with those items. It's when those items hold a superior place to God in our lives. And that's what God wants to know. How important is God to us? Now we know that we are to do all to the glory of God in order to be able to keep from sin. If we focus on God, we will then understand 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do what? All to the glory of God. The way we learn is through the Bible. So when we come to the Word of God, it shouldn't be just so that we can get through a chapter or a verse or a couple of verses on a daily basis. The purpose of reading the Word of God is so that we might see change take place in our hearts and in our lives. John Bunyan 
was the gentleman who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, I would highly recommend that. It's one of my favorite books in the whole world. And John Bunyan wrote this in the front of his Bible. This book, speaking of the Bible, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Did you catch that? This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. If there's areas that you're struggling with in your life or that I'm struggling with, the best solution is to be able to go to the Word of God as Psalm 119.9 says, Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way? By taking heed how? According to thy word. So it's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of tradition or creeds. It's a matter of what does God's word have to say? What do we need to change to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Our second purpose is to see the matchless person of Jesus Christ And it is our joy and our privilege to be able to worship him who loved us from all of eternity. This is one of the reasons why we come on a Sunday morning or we come on a Sunday night if you're able to come or a Wednesday night, any time we get together. You could be meeting in somebody's home. We've we've talked about meeting on a Friday night. Whenever you meet, it should be to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus will love you and I long after time has ceased May we be able to say and sing with the hymn writer, Hallelujah, what a Savior. The person of God has been identified in his word and we are reminded that he alone is immutable or he is unchangeable. I am God and I change not, he tells us. This is a God who will not share his glory with another and he reveals his perfect protection not just for a helpless, hopeless people like the Israelites, but for those who are called according to his good pleasure. You see, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, it is because God has called you to himself, and it is for the sake of his good pleasure that he calls us, and Romans chapter 8 reminds us that he has called us and predestined us to be what? Conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This passage in Exodus chapter 20, when the word of God comes, this is not just about calling a people to himself as we saw from 1 Peter chapter 2 last week. Those who were once not a people have been chosen to be a people, but it is a reminder that God shows mercy on those who had not obtained mercy. But the joy of being a believer and the joy of being able to share the truth with you this morning and with others is that we know that we can stand over in the corner. We can stand like the publican did in the the temple and we can strike ourselves upon the chest and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Bible says that he is merciful to those who call upon him. path through Exodus chapter 20 brings us to the sweet waters of the commands that are given here. We are commanded to delight in the law of God. Read Psalm 119. Read Psalm 19 where David writes and he says that that moreover by them is your servant warned. They are sweeter than honey. The question we have to ask ourselves is this. Do we delight in the law of God? Do we meditate on them day and night or do we just meditate on it on a Sunday morning? If if our meditation is not on the word of God on a daily basis, 
there's not, there shouldn't be any wonder in your heart or mind as to why we can get up on a Sunday and maybe not feel like coming to church. There shouldn't be any reason why if we're, if our noses and our faces and our minds and our hearts are not meditating on the word of God, should it be any wonder when we have an offense or against another brother or sister within the congregation? Or maybe within our own families or with the concerns that we have from day to day if we're struggling, if, if, if whether it's financial or emotional or psychological or mental or whatever it may be, and we haven't remembered to read 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done. He already knows the beginning from the end. He knows everything that's going to transpire in your life through that whole period. A tree delights, as Psalm 1 tells us, a tree delights in the nourishment that it receives from life-giving waters. I can remember when we were, when we were younger, I was growing up as a teenager and, and my dad was... Uh, pastoring a church in England. And, and I remember somebody gave my mom, I don't even remember whether it was an orchid or whatever it was, but she had this in the house forever. And after a while, it just seemed like it would die. It didn't matter what you put in it. She'd put it in the garage and a week later, it'd come back to life again. And then bring it back inside and then it would die again and you put it back out in the garage and then it'd come back to life again. But when we are sitting by the rivers of water, the waters that God has provided for us in his word, you will delight in what God gives you. You will delight in the life he provides. You see, if our focus and our meditation is not on God, we're, we're going to struggle because what the world has to offer, we're going to think is profitable. We're going to think that it's something worth living. We who are called by the name of the Most High should delight in the water of life that flows from God's throne. Now we already know the Lord Jesus Christ condensed these Ten Commandments that we have here in Exodus chapter 20. And he condensed them basically down to two. Which as Hebrews tells us that the law that God was given or the law that was given by the Lord Jesus Christ is a superior law to that of the Old Testament. Now the command in verse 3 sets the stage though for the other nine. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This one command produces both a negative and a positive outcome. If the first command is not obeyed, not to have any other gods before us, the other nine cannot be obeyed. If the first is obeyed with singleness of heart, then the other nine can be accomplished in such a way that will bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is done by chance. And there's no command, no, no coincidence that this command comes first. Israel had to know who they were dealing with, who it was that was setting the stage for the commands to follow. Again, we shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. If we are seeking to teach our children morals without the God of the morals, then we do not have any morals to actually to stand on. Because God is the one who designed the morals. God is the one who put the morals into place. The world today, though, wants to begin with a different part of the command. They want to try, if you were to go down and, and go over maybe to UW or to some other college campus, LCCC, and go on and ask people, are you a good person? 
More times than not, they're going to say, well, yeah, I think I'm a good person. Well, why do you think you're a good person? Because I haven't killed somebody. That's where they start. That's their standard. And yet when the Lord Jesus Christ came, the Pharisees thought the same thing. Because I haven't killed anybody, I'm a good person. And Jesus said, wait a minute. To the people who hated more than probably any other group in Israel, have you ever hated somebody? And the Pharisees are like, yep. Jesus says hating is just as bad as murder. It's the same as murder because it's what's in your heart. In other words, it's not about whether you have actually murdered or not. The point is that you just haven't had the right opportunity to be able to get away with it. Speak to a person about their falling short of the glory of God and how they are depraved by nature and their hackles begin to raise the hair on the back of their neck and it's like, no, I'm not a bad person. Try to show a person that they are dead in their trespasses and their sins and their first response will often be to become defensive or angry or to tell you which command they consider to be the most important. We find ourselves doing this. There are times that we come to the cross, we realize our depravity, we have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and yet we still want to say at times, I sure am glad I'm not like that person. Who are we trying to fool? We can justify gossip or slander or dissension because somehow it doesn't equate to the sins like murder, adultery, drunkenness. The children of Israel are no different than us. They try to compare themselves to the surrounding nations instead of trying to understand the holy standard that was God himself. You see, our standard cannot be based on what you see in my life or what you think you see in my life. The standard has to be one thing. God said, that settles it. God's commands are higher than ours. We follow them. That's it. And if we do not want to follow them, if we seek to have a different standard, then we are in essence not loving God first. So this first command... You shall have no other gods before me. Why is it so important? I believe firstly because it points directly to God. It takes man right out of the picture because there's nothing here that reflects you and I. It is simply have no other gods before me. I am that I am. That's what God told Moses when he went to before the children of Israel. I am that I am has sent me. In other words, I, the self-existent one, the one who exists outside of time, outside of eternity, I want you to know that I am the one that has given you the commands to do the things that you're doing. Pharaoh on his own, he wouldn't have let the children of Israel go. God had to use the plagues to be able to destroy Egypt so that Israel could be saved. It tells us who God is and, and what he demands from his creation. There are several things that we can learn from the eight little words of this first command. And while there certainly probably are more that can be found, we want to be able to direct our focus to understanding just a little bit more of the God that we say we love. We want us to see also how far we've actually turned away from him at times. 
realizing how far we are from Him as sinful creatures, I believe will drive us to the Son in grateful love for the mercy that He has towards us. You see, when we come together, it's, it's not about, well, what a great sermon or, or what, a, what a great song that we're singing. It should be what a great Savior, even if we're having a bad day. We should be able to look at what God has provided for us and say, God, I don't understand why you've given me anything. I don't know why you even allow me to take another breath. A couple of weeks ago, we looked and we mentioned Nehemiah chapter 9 on a Wednesday evening. And, and as we looked and considered the hardness of the heart that had been taking place within Israel, the hearts of the people have gathered together and, and what they went through down through the years has come and is just sitting like a burden on them. And yet, who was it that was still gracious? God. You know, there are a lot of the new generation that probably didn't even remember the fact that God had promised that after 70 years, they were going to be able to go back to the land again. And yet, God was still gracious. God still said, I'm going to call you, and he lays it upon the heart of a heathen king, a king who did not know God, to say, I want you, Israel, to go back to your land so that you can worship the God that I don't. Only God and His sovereignty can do that. How sad they still didn't learn from all the time standing around the base of Mount Sinai. Do you remember the two mounts as, as they're standing there, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim? And, and on one they said, well, the curses be upon us and the blessings be upon us. And yet the curses were there constantly because like us, they didn't learn. And yet, who was gracious? God. God still said, I'm going to fulfill my promise. It doesn't matter whether you keep it or not. And this is a great encouragement, or it should be a great encouragement to you and I this morning, because we can go from here and you can have the worst week possible, mentally, spiritually, physically, whatever it may be that you're going to go through this next week. Only God knows. And you can get to the end of the week and you're either going to trust in your own faithfulness, which you're obviously going to fail, or you're going to be able to say like the Apostle Paul, faithful is he who called you, who also will do it. It's all about God. You don't have to worry about whether a husband or wife or your children or your grandchildren or your colleagues or whoever did what they were supposed to do. You can simply look up to God and say, God, thank you for taking care of me. Thank you in your sovereignty that you've allowed me to live another week. Children of Israel would get to the end of each week and they were commanded to obey the Sabbath so that they would come and be able to give sacrifices and then they, they lived for themselves for the rest of the week. And it finally got to the point where even the Levites and the kings who were supposed to read the word of God every year as part of their rule, they even laid it aside because it wasn't important enough. Had the rulers, had the Levites spent time? I mean... You've got the Levites. I, I have to wonder every time I read the account in the Old Testament, I have to wonder what were the Levites doing every single week, every single month, every single year, because they obviously weren't worshiping God. 
Each day is a continual battle, and I understand that. I've been where you're at. I'm still at, uh, at times, I'm where you're at. We have a continual battle that wars within our flesh. Even after we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not having a bad week. Talk to another brother or sister. They understand. They know. And if you don't want to listen to them, go back to the Word of God and listen to Paul write in Romans chapter 7, the good that I'm supposed to be doing this week, I didn't do it. The good things that I'm supposed to be doing, I didn't do those. And the bad things I'm not supposed to be doing, that's exactly what I did. And we can all put ourselves there and it's like, oh, woe is me. We want to hang our heads before the world. We want to hang our heads before the church. We want to hang our heads and maybe we even come to the Lord's table and we're not willing to partake because of something that we've just done this week or we've said or we've had an attitude or whatever. Do you not realize that it is God's faithfulness? It is God who saves. It is God who heals. It is God who forgives. It is His faithfulness, His justice, His judgment, His righteousness, His patience, His long-suffering. Talk about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That is not the fruit of you or me. Yes, days are difficult. And there are times we just simply give pathetic excuses. God sees right through that. He sees our heart. He sees our mind. There are times we can come and you can ask somebody, how are you doing today? Great. You're not great. Your heart may be far from God. Maybe you struggled. It's been a difficult week for a number of different reasons. God sees the true you. He sees the real you. That, that's why we come to church because when we come here, who was it? Brother Gabriel, he's not here this morning. One of our newest members, he's talked about accountability. Having accountability one to another and saying, you know, it's been a bad week. What can we do for this next week to be different? Now, we're not going to get through all of these points this morning, but I want you to see firstly the strength of his power. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1. Who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? And God himself answers, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why would you want to trust in anybody else? Why would you want to trust in somebody who can't save you from your sin? This is why missionaries go out around the world. This is why whether it's a track or, or gospel literature that goes into an OCC box or, or whether it's more money that, that goes to be able to support missionaries, whether it's in Cuba or China or, or Southeast Asia, wherever it may be. Why? Because we know that a child or an adult in any one of those places, you can feed them. They can die with a full stomach. They can die with a great education. They can die with a closet full of clothes. And if they die without Jesus Christ, they still go to hell. But if they die with Jesus Christ, they can die with an empty closet or no closet at all. They can die not having eaten for three or four or five days. They can die without clean water. They can die without having read one single book in their entire life. And they are richer than anybody in the world. 
because of Jesus Christ. God told the children of Israel, if you simply obey my commands, I'll protect you. They couldn't get out of Egypt without complaining. None of the diseases, he says, or plagues that would be brought upon the other nations would fall upon them. Listen to the mercy of God. Years later, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, comes down to Jerusalem. Maybe you've read the account. And Rabshakeh, the mouthpiece of the king of Assyria, he speaks to the people on the walls. And Hezekiah says, speak to me in your language because I understand your language. And Rabshakeh says, no, I'm going to speak in the language of the people because I want them to be discouraged. And Rabshakeh says, have any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods? Where are your gods? Have they delivered Syria out of my hand? Your God can't even do that. And that same night, God kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Oops. We need to understand that nothing is too hard for God. There, there, may be, there may be enemy soldiers that are in your life, maybe things that you're facing on a daily basis. The same Lord Jesus Christ who came, who died on the cross to be able to save us from our sins, not to leave us in our sins, but to change us out from underneath that, he has saved us from the power of the enemy. He has set our feet upon a solid rock and there is nothing too hard for our God. Secondly, the singleness of his person. Numbers chapter 15, verses 38 to 40, we are given some, and maybe some of you again have never read this. It it is a long, boring section. It is hard to read the book of Numbers. But in Numbers chapter 15, he tells the children of Israel that they are to make fringes in their garments. They are are to put a ribbon of blue around the bottom of their garments. And what was this for? It was there so that they would look every time they saw somebody walking by. Every time they reached in their closet to pull out a fresh, clean garment, they would look and see that ribbon of blue at the bottom. And look what it says in verse 40. They would look and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And so that you will not seek after your own heart and your own eyes. You know, there are a lot of people in the world, I mean, the world will tell you this all the time. Follow your heart. My friend, your heart and mine can't be trusted. Jeremiah is very clear that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? There's nothing about your heart that seeks after God on its own. They have altogether gone out of the way. Romans chapter 3. They are altogether unprofitable. Their mouths are an open sepulcher. They do not seek after God. No, not one. And then Paul, though, turns around and gives the wonderful good news that because we can't do it, Jesus Christ did on our behalf. The singleness of his person, again, referencing back to to that difference between being preeminent and being prominent. The creator chose a people for himself 
And in so doing, he set the criteria by which he would accept them. Look around the world. Uh, Brother Al and I, we, we've talked a number of times at different places that you've gone in, in, around the world. And there are a lot of gods and they all have different standards. They all have different things that you're supposedly believe. Anybody here ever been to an Asian country where they spin the prayer wheels? The bronze prayer wheels? Maybe you've seen it on TV, okay? And they spin those prayer wheels and by spinning those wheels, they think that they are having their prayers answered. And yet they pray to a dead God. You know what God's word says? You see, the world, the world will tell you that it's difficult to follow Jesus. The world will tell you that, that that standard is just impossible to achieve. And yet the Bible says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy-hearted, and I will give you rest. Is it really that simple? It sure is. It's not a matter of whether you keep all the rules, because you, I'll tell you right now, you can't. I can't. I never could. I never will. The criteria is set by God. And when we come to Him, the same way that I come to Him is the same way that Brother Jerry had to come to Him. The same way Brother Kurt had to come. The same way you had to come. Coming to the foot of the cross and saying, Lord Jesus, here I am. I don't deserve to be here. But I'm going to trust that you're a God of your promises and a God of promises is able to keep me until the very end. That's the joy of salvation. Because if it was my standard versus your standard, how would we know whose standard to follow? If we stood up on a Sunday morning and, and I said, well, you have to follow my rules and, and Brother Doug stands up and he says, no, you've got to follow my rules. And then somebody else, Brother Al, stands up and he says, no, you've got to follow my rules. Who, who would we trust? Who would we know? Who would we believe? And yet the Lord Jesus Christ is very clear. Same thing he told the disciples. Follow me. Follow me. That's it. Romans chapter 10. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It really is that simple. And yet we want to say, oh no, that's, that's way too simple. There's something I have to do to be able to make it happen. I want to conclude this morning with point number C. The solitariness of his path. Listen to Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 and 14. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many are on that path. And in fact, you don't even have to go searching for that path. We're all born on that path. But the Lord Jesus Christ, in the last chapter on the Sermon of the Mount, He gives this wonderful truth. Narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. It's not the solitariness of the gate alone. It's the solitariness of the path. It's not just the way we enter. It's not just this single gate by which we come to the foot of the cross and we say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. There are times that as we walk that path, we're going to realize just like the characters did in Pilgrim's Progress, we seem like we are walking all by ourselves. You ever feel like the Christian life is very lonely? 
You ever struggle? You ever walk the path and wonder, is there anybody else out there that can encourage me, that can walk the path with me, that looks like me, walks like me, has been through the same things? Hebrews chapter 4 says that the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. My path is not your path. We know where the end result is. God's path for the children of Israel led them to the promised land. The law of God reminded them that nobody else could lead them down that path. They walked alone out of all the nations and they trusted that he would guide them. He would protect them from harm. Can you imagine getting up in the morning, looking outside and seeing whether the pillar of fire or the cloud has moved? Up, time to pack again. But then to also remember that if they strayed from the path, they had to pay the price. My friend, this morning, the path for you and I as believers is the same. It's no different than what the children of Israel had to walk. This morning, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are aliens in a foreign land. You know that song, This World is Not My Home, I'm Just Passing Through, My Treasures Are Laid Up Somewhere Beyond the Blue. That That's exactly where you and I are at if we're believers. We're not here to put down roots and to lay up treasures for ourselves here on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Our, our purpose here in life is to lay up treasures in heaven where we will be eternally with the Father. Uh, when you die and pass from this life, there won't be a single possession that you'll get to take with you into that casket. You'll leave it all here. We are aliens and walking that lonely path I can tell you, though, on the authority of God's word, that that path leads to promised rest. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our eternal Sabbath. The Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to be able to die so that we might have eternal life, he's the one who will keep us. And when we lay our heads on our pillow for the very last time, and we close our eyes in this life, and we open them, looking at the face of Jesus Christ, it will all have been worth it. Knowing that he's the one that called us from eternity past. He's the one that kept us in the present. And he's the one that will keep us and save us all the way into eternity where we will be forever with the Lord. What a joy to know that kind of a savior. This isn't about what's on the sign outside. This is not about a name. It's not about Mark's belief for yours. It's about what does God's word have to say. And we can learn all of these things from this command. Loving God first. You will have no other gods before me. Let's pray. Father, we do struggle. We do walk a path that sometimes seems lonely. This is why it's so important to be able to gather together with God's people, with other brothers and sisters who have walked similar paths. And to know that because we have been redeemed from among the children of men, our, our comfort, our encouragement, our fellowship is not to be with the world, it's to be with other brothers and sisters. 
to know that this is just a foretaste of glory divine, to know that this is just a foretaste of what we will experience through all of eternity to be able to fellowship in the joy and the wonder of who Jesus Christ is. So may we go from here this morning. We ask you to forgive us of our sins, to forgive us in the areas where we have not loved you first, preeminently, you and you alone, knowing that we can come before you as 1 John 1, 9 says, confessing our sins and you are the one that is faithful. You are the one that is just. You are the one that forgives us of our sins. You are the one that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, for our time this morning. May you be glorified in every part of our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.